0: What's freaks? It's your boy Marty here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt. I have some coffee brewing in the background. I have an empty bent open in front of me, ready to start my day. And I hope you guys are ready to start your day with this podcast. I sat down with Morgan Rochard to talk about personal finance and her new book, The Personal Finance Quick Starter Guide. Uh, very important conversation to have. How are you managing your money? How are you saving for the future? Especially you young freaks out there. If any of you freaks are in your early 20s, I highly recommend you pay attention to this episode and pick up uh, Morgan's book. Again, Personal Finance Quick Start Guide. Uh, It is on Amazon. Uh, And if you're a youngin who is stressed out about uh, finance and your personal finances specifically, uh, this is a great episode for you. This episode is brought to you by our good friends, that's motherfucking cash app. Wow, what an app. Cash App, you stack sats, send sats, sell sats if you want to, and receive sats. We're saying sats, 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 because you can make sats the standard in the app. We're no longer buying fractions of Bitcoin. We're stacking whole sats. on top of that, you can stack sats Uh on a set cadence you can dca you can set it and forget it you can set automatic buys in the app either daily weekly or bi-weekly we're trying to front run matt odell uh, so you got to wake up before 5 a.m eastern time here in the united states uh, and set your your daily buys before 5 a.m that's when matt odell is DCAing, and we're trying to front run him because he's trying to front run the u.s markets on the east coast so uh, we're going to front run the front runner via the cash app uh, beyond stacking sats they have their boost program which allows you to go to partner merchants and save money they have a sweet debit card that you can personalize i believe they have a glow in the dark one now you can put the bitcoin sign on it lightning your name a nice message whatever you whatever you feel is fit for your personalized debit card that is accepted wherever visa is accepted uh, on top of that they have cash app investing if you're into the stonk market you can stack slivers of the stonk via cash app investing uh cash app investing is subsidiary square member sipc uh, all this is connected to your bank accounts so there's no four to five day waiting period you can start stacking sats today cash app may even be your bank account they're offering account numbers and routing numbers so you can get your paychecks direct deposited into the app an all-around incredible app bank of the future in app form all right so if you haven't downloaded the cash app yet make sure you go to the your local app store download it when you do Use the code stacking sats. That's S T A C K I N G S A T S. You're going to get ten dollars, and ten dollars is going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. That's Owls Lacrosse. <laughs> Down in the cash app and enjoy this episode of Morgan Richard. I learned a lot. I hope you do too. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. Very excited for this episode. A little bit off the beaten path. We're definitely going to touch on Bitcoin today, but uh, this episode is very special and a very interesting topic. One that scared the hell out of me for most of my 20s. I still have a few months left in my 20s, and I think uh, uh, this this topic is a little less daunting than it was when I was younger. Uh, but I'm very excited for this because I think we're going to learn a lot today. I'm sitting down with Morgan Rochard, offer, offer, author of Personal Finance Quick Start Guide, The Simplified Beginner's Guide to Eliminating Financial Stress, Building Wealth, and Achieving Financial Freedom. Morgan, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me on, Marty. I'm excited to be here. Uh,
0: thank you for coming on. Uh, like I was saying, the the topic of personal finance was one that uh, scared the hell out of me in my early 20s. had a good job. was never very good at saving money. I think maybe it wasn't until I got really into Bitcoin where I was like all right maybe I should save some money but I think this is a topic particularly in today's economy that that is a a bit daunting for a lot of individuals out there how the hell do I save money what should I prioritize um, and, and plan for my financial future and you've written a book about it and so I guess before we jump into the specifics of the book and some advice you would give to the listeners of this podcast what what incited you to write the book in the first place
1: yeah so i have um, a financial planning practice and i also have a financial coaching practice and i wanted to be able to balance the needs of my family um which is being making sure that i'm here for my son and our baby that we have coming along the way um and also being able to serve all my clients and do it in a way that is time effective, cost effective, made me money, made me happy, made my family happy and really kept my whole life in balance. But what I was finding was that I couldn't serve that many clients doing that. Um, I currently have 25 clients in my practice. I'll probably never have more than 30 to 35 just because I don't want to spend that much more time in my business. I love my business, but I also want to spend time doing other things. So, um, there, I wanted there to be a way for me to serve people on a one-to-many model rather than a one-to-one model because um, that's the only way that I could really help more people than I'm able to do with my time currently. So the book was part of that. And also my podcast, I run a podcast called money owners podcast, um, where I disseminate as much free advice as anyone is willing to listen to me talk about, um, to myself basically for a half hour, every couple of weeks or so. Um, and yeah, the book is basically a better written version of how I normally speak.
0: <laughs> Congrats on, on getting it out there, by the way, Did you, it released what last week?
1: Yeah, last week, um, October 19th. So um, most of the writing, it took place um, in chunks for sure. Um, Like majority of the writing was like over a good three month period where I just kind of stuck my head down and did it. Um, And then the editing was a much longer period of time where it was me working with my editor and publisher to make sure that like, you know, every I was dotted, T was crossed, there were no typos, um, serious grammar grammar errors, everything else. Um, And then making sure that like we got good graphics and other things into the book um, and making all that stuff look clean and nice so that people can actually read it and not fall asleep while they're reading a personal finance book because this topic could get a little heavy sometimes. Um, And then kind of weaving the most important themes through the book. Like the whole book is about making sure that somebody could pick it up and actually live their most fulfilled life and fund it along the way. So it's like what I noticed about personal finance books in general is that they would maybe address, like there are a lot of personal finance books out there that just address kind of the emotional and money factors, but they don't necessarily address the practical side of it and vice versa, where you could pick up, let's say something like, you know, um, personal finance for dummies and they'll address a lot of the, you know, practical parts of it, but they don't address the themes that are really important that help you make the practical decisions. So um, my goal in the book was to combine the two give people a framework to actually think about making decisions. That way when they go to make them, they know the decision that they want to make and then they can reference the book to see how they can go and make that decision.
0: Mm -hmm. And so this all revolves around uh, the ability to craft your own positive money mindset and and sort of plan for the future and uh, accumulate wealth so that you can live the life that you want to. And so I guess, again, like in my early twenties, for some reason, when, when I was uh, preparing for this interview, I wanted to speak to, to young Marty specifically and give him advice because that's the one thing you hear about planning for the future is the earlier you start, the better, and you're gonna have uh, you're gonna be much happier later in life if you start earlier. So, for any of the uh, early to mid twenty year olds out there who may uh, be living paycheck to paycheck and uh, not focusing on their financial future, what advice would you give to them at this point? How important is starting this journey as early as possible?
1: Yeah, so the one thing I would say is that it'll be easier for you. So because of the power of compounding and time being on your side, if money is actually growing, right? If you were to, let's say, take a bunch of money and put it into to an investment that went to zero, obviously that's not going to help you. But if <laughs> if you find something where you're able to consistently invest earlier, Um, you will have significantly more money if you start in your 20s than if you start in your 30s and 40s and so on. So what the point of prioritizing when you're young is just so you don't have to do so much work later. So if you don't start in your 20s or 30s and you start in your 40s or even 50s or 60s, you just have to put away exponentially more money to make the math work on the other side when you ultimately retire or want to fund a very large goal.
0: Yeah, and um, how would you recommend that somebody... Uh, that is already living on a budget. Maybe they're out of college Their their salary is not as high as they like. They don't think they can, uh, save as much as they should be able to. So they just don't, uh, they don't save at all because they don't think they, sh- they can. Uh, what advice would you have for, for that cohort or that demographic? Um, yeah. I love you, that question. How do you start?
1: Um, how do you start? So, um, the first thing I would say is that you want to prioritize say your savings rate. Um, and I'm going to be really precise about my language because I know your Bitcoin audience. <laughs> there there are different ways to approach saving and then so there's the savings rate, which is the flow of savings, right, it's your income minus your spending equals savings. Um, and then you can take that savings and then go and invest it. Um, and then there's savings stock, which would literally be that you're holding cash. Um, so if I interchangeably use the words, I'm sorry, we just tend to use them like that. Um, but. Let's concentrate on savings flow rather than saving stock for the purpose of our discussions. And you wanna create savings flow, which is your savings rate. Um, The savings rate that I typically recommend to people is 20% or more of their pre-tax income. Um, So if you're making $100,000 a year, that would be $20,000 a year that you wanna put aside in savings. Um, So if you're able to do that, if you're able to save the 20 grand, let's say, then you don't have to worry about any other expenses. You can spend the eighty percent however you want to spend it. Nobody cares what you spend it on. You want to buy a bunch of video games and you know, eighteen million cases of beer and sit in your parents' basement, and that's how you want to spend your money. Great. If you're saving twenty percent, I don't care. Um, <laughs> if you're not, though, then you have to start evaluating like budget line items. Um, What I would say from there, the best place to start is actually your large fixed expenses. So a lot of the things that we hear about these from financial pundits is like stop going to Starbucks, stop going to the movies every week, stop, you know, hanging out with your friends and doing all the things that are fun for you, because you need to save money. What they really should be talking about is how much are you paying for rent? How much are you paying on a car? How much are you paying on the large amounts of money that go out every single month? that you can, if you were to change those, they would significantly move the needle and help you save while also still allowing you to live the life that you wanna live during the time period that you're living, right? So like when you're in your 20s, nobody really wants to like, I don't know, like live with their parents maybe and eat ramen all the time so that they're able to save (laughs) Um, and not like be able to see friends and do all the things that are fun. So if you're able to kind of like, the whole point of it is just to balance. So to figure out a way for you to spend your 80% in a way that, makes you feel good, but also spending it in a way where, you know, maybe you can cut corners on things that don't matter as much. I would say that that's the best place to start. If you do live in a place though with high cost of living, that starts to get really complicated. It's like the New York cities of the world, San Francisco's, right? It starts to get hard to cap it at 20% of pre-tax income um, for your, let's say your, um, your housing expenses, which trying to make all the numbers work here. (laughs) So save 20% of your income. You can also spend about 20% or less of your income on let's say housing. Um, If you do that, then it'll make it easier for you to save 20% of your income while still being able to spend and enjoy. Um, You live in New York, that might be hard. You might actually need to spend 30% to like not live in a cardboard box under the bridge, right? So um, in which case, then you gotta start looking at your lattes. (laughs) Um, but either way, right. You got to just find a way to make the math work. Um, and unfortunately it does involve some scrutiny of expenses and some thoughtfulness. Um, but if you do all that thoughtfulness early, then you'll, you'll be able to play the long game, which will be good.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't recommend living in New York and your, your young twenties. <laughs> I, I do recommend it if you want the fun. It's a lot of fun, but it is very expensive. I, uh,
1: find, uh, find like a sugar mama, you know, who right. Like. Or a sugar daddy <laughs> Your daddy. <laughs> there's, some, there's some girls
0: who listen to this podcast too, I believe. But uh, no, I, I just from personal experience, and maybe you can speak to this as well, because you've recently moved out of New York. Uh, uh, my The financial stress has, has been reduced significantly since leaving New York. Um, and I'm in a small town where I, where I can't really go eat out that much. So I'm like forced, we're, we're forced to cook a lot, which saves a significant amount of money in and of itself
1: yeah definitely i mean we've noticed that too since moving from new york to texas like um definitely like expenses they're just less because there's just less there's less everything right there's less rent for the restaurant down the block to actually operate so thereby like going out is cheaper than it would be in new york um yeah the thing is so i don't really i like to pick on people for their food expenses but I also don't like to pick on them too much. (laughs) I feel like food is one of those things where if it really brings you joy, then fit it into your, like, find a way to fit it in. Um, If it's one of those things, though, where you're just ordering in because you're like, you can't figure out how to use your toaster, um, then I would say, like, you know, maybe it's time to make some changes. Um, When you see that you're not enjoying the food and (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's, that, that's when it's time to make changes. Um, I had a client who like literally her and her husband, they would just go out every night cause that's just what they did. Um, and it had gotten to a point where they literally like they were eating ridiculously expensive meals and they weren't even enjoying it. Um, like things that like I'm salivating over cause we never do that, but like, <laughs> Um, but yeah, when you find yourself just becoming accustomed to a certain thing and not really enjoying it, it's one of those things that it's actually easy to cut and you might find more satisfaction in cooking because you've been eating out for so long or learning a new skill or whatever it is that is costing you money.
0: Mm -hmm. And so shift a little bit here. How does uh, credit and debt work into this conversation? How do you prioritize again, speaking to the young 20 year old who may be out of college with some student debt. How do you, how do you prioritize that and fix that into, obviously that'll be one year of your fixed expenses I would imagine.
1: Yeah, for sure. So that is definitely a, well, it's an income based question too. Um, when you come out of college, typically you have a lower salary than, than what you hope to make maybe down the road after, I mean, the hope, right, is that you went to college so that you can eventually make a lot of money and you spent a lot of money on college so that that, that project would actually be NPV positive, right? Um, so in the early years, when your income is not so high, it's, it's going to be hard. It's going to be tight. That is going to be when you're going to want to maybe get a roommate, get a bunch of roommates, <laughs> try to make the math work as much as you can, um, try to cut costs where you can because you're probably going to be spending about 10% of your pre-tax income um, paying down the debt, if not more. Um, and that paying down debt is actually, it's considered a savings category. So even if you're not able to put aside money, like try to set aside something, um, but paying down your debt is, is actually helping to increase your net worth, right? Because in a way you're going from negative net worth to positive net worth when you're doing it. Um, so I always actually include that in the savings category. So you don't need to rearrange so much, um, but you do still want to figure out a way to, save something if you just have student loan debt. If you have credit card debt, that's a kind of a different story. So you have to evaluate the interest rate. Interest rates right now are pretty low. Um, Anyone coming out of college right now with student loan debt is gonna have probably a pretty good rate depending on how long ago they started school. But I've seen them just be like 5% or below at this point is what people are coming out with. It's not a a super high interest rate. There's kind of no point of you like aggressively trying to pay it down unless you have just loads and loads of debt. You went to grad school or something else like that. Um, but that said, like, it might make sense. (laughs) You have to figure out and do the math, right? It always makes sense to do the math on these things. There are a lot of financial planners out there. I'm not one of them, but who have, um, a, it's a credential. Oh my gosh. I'm like losing. I can't remember what it is. I think it's the CSLP. It's like the, it's a, um, college, uh, debt designation and I'll get you a link for that. So you can put it in the show notes, but basically they'll, they can help you. Prioritize how to pay down your debt. You'd obviously pay a fee to do that, but it'd be maybe like a one-time consult fee to make sure you're prioritizing and doing what you need to do. If you have credit card debt, though; those are high interest rates. So you're going to want to do everything you can to pay that off because interest is accumulating. It's really hard to get out from under that when interest rates are 20% plus. Um, I've seen them be as high as 35%. So um, you got to be careful of that stuff for sure. Um, And then if you're a young person buying a home, um, mortgage rates are so low. I mean, I don't see any reason why you'd want to pay that off early.
0: (laughs) Well, with credit cards specifically, I'm actually, I get ridiculed a lot because I've never had a credit card. I have like a $500 limit credit card that I just never use. And I've never had a credit card with a a huge balance uh, or high interest rate. They scared me. Like I I like to use cash and what I have at hand. Is that a bad idea? Like, how do you go about building credit? Should that be a priority, or is it okay to to go without a credit card with a huge limit?
1: Yeah, I think it depends on what you want to do. If you are looking to buy a home down the road, and you know you're going to want to finance it because you didn't save enough to buy the house in cash, um, or um, you don't want to have you want to take on a car loan because your interest rates are so low, um, in those scenarios, having more like having credit will actually help you have lower interest rates because they'll see, oh, she, you know, this person has a credit history. They're, they will actually pay off their debt. They're a good credit. Um, I don't totally agree with how they calculate all this stuff, but I mean, I don't make the rules. <laughs> we kind of just have to follow them. And one of the rules of credit is that you have to use credit in order for them to know that you're good for your credit. Um, if you're the kind of person though, where if you get a credit card, you're maxing that thing out all the time and you're not even, you know, you're only paying the minimum balance rather than paying the whole balance off at the end of the month. I would say it's better for you not to have that card at all and to just not build up credit than it would be for you to try to build up credit to eventually get more credit. Right. Like debt is kind of like, what's the best way for me to put this? Um, that's kind of like fire. So a campfire is nice, right? You sit around the campfire. You can, you know, roast marshmallows. You, <laughs> you could dance around the campfire. You can get a little bit of warmth from the campfire, right? And everything's great. A little bit of debt's fine. When you have a wildfire situation, right? Where you've got credit card debt, like crazy. You also have student loan debt. Maybe you also have a mortgage. Like, I mean, I've seen, I've seen things like this where people could really get out of control. You even have IRS debt sometimes where people are running a business and they get behind on their taxes. Um, Right. That's a situation that's extremely difficult to, to come back from where you have to make significant cuts in your, um, in your spending to make the math work. Otherwise, you're just stuck under debt for a really long time. Um, so I would say like, do everything that you can to build good credit, but don't do so much that you end up in a wildfire situation where you, where it's, you're worse off than what you would have been had you not done it at all.
0: I like that advice. Yeah, I try to put like a couple hundred bucks on my $500 limit card and pay that off every month just to show that like, hey, I can pay back this back. Yeah, hey,
1: you're doing it. You yeah. can even get a credit increase probably if you're only spending that much. I I
0: <laughs> It'll don't... help your credit. Yeah. Will it? All right. Maybe I should yeah. apply for that. Yeah,
1: go to $1,000. You only spend 200 bucks a month. You're fine. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and uh... all right. We, we but yeah,
1: there is a huge section on debt in my book, um, and I, I encourage people to buy it. Um, it goes really in-depth on all the different strategies, how to get out from debt. If you are in debt, um, it is a good idea to to really be budgeting. Um, we try to stick away, keep people away from budgeting because they hate it so much (laughs) and it's tedious and horrible and not fun to do. Um, so if you can get away with like simple rules of, Hey, if I'm saving 20%, don't worry about the other 80%, but when you're in significant debt, sometimes that those rules don't really apply to you anymore. And you actually have to do a deeper dive and make sure that you're like evaluating every line item, seeing what you can change. Um, if you have significant debt, you might even want to be saving, i.e. putting more money towards your debt than 20% of pre-tax income um, just so that you pay it down faster and move on with your life. I mean, I've never met anyone who says that like their goal is to live in debt, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> most people, when they think about their most fulfilled life, they're like talking about traveling around the world and having kids and starting a business or, you know, starting a nonprofit, whatever's really important to you. Nobody's ever like, I would love to have tons of debt. So um, something to think about when you're balancing the needs of today with the needs of the future.
0: Okay. And this is where we can transition to Bitcoin because you were married to the man who wrote uh, one of my favorite pieces on Bitcoin, which is called Speculative Attack. Um, Speculative attacking your debt via Bitcoin. Would you recommend this?
1: Well, (laughs) um, I think he's still mad at me about this, to be honest. (laughs) So um, if you're right, right, if the thesis plays out and Bitcoin does replace the US dollar and there's a day where people don't want dollars anymore um, and they only want Bitcoin and all debt will basically be canceled because dollars will be worth Zimbabwe dollars, um, then yes, it would make sense for you to not pay down your debt, take on as much debt as possible, buy as much Bitcoin as you could um, (laughs) and live that way, right? The problem with that is um, the time, the time. So, I actually recently got asked about like doing a cash out refinancing on your mortgage to go buy Bitcoin. And the question I always have for people is like, okay, in the meantime, before your thesis plays out, if it does and when it does play out, um, like how and we don't know how long it's going to take. We always like I feel like Bitcoiners tend to be really optimistic about how long these things will take. If you had asked Pierre like 7 years ago when we met, <laughs> he was saying next year, you know. <laughs> um and here we are in 2020 and you know Bitcoin is still not replacing the US dollar. So, um <laughs> it's kind of one of those things where like can you keep your head above water in the meantime if you're going to do that as a strategy? Are you able to like at least pay down enough of the debt? while you're still buying Bitcoin with your money so that you're not in a situation where you're foreclosing on a house, you're getting margin calls on other assets, you're literally broke and can't put food on your table, right? Uh, you're homeless, obviously, like we can go to the worst case scenario where it could get really, really bad and then you also have to go sell all your Bitcoin because you couldn't make ends meet, Um, in which case you pretty much forfeited your entire personal financial life um, for something that, yeah, might happen, but we don't know how long it's gonna take to happen. So in the meantime, I would say balance, right? There's a responsible way to use debt and there's a responsible way to have Bitcoin be part of your investment allocation. Um, And I don't see any reason why you couldn't have a little bit of both Um, and wait (laughs) and do it in a way that doesn't put your whole life at risk.
0: It's not what everybody wants to hear. More I
1: know. I'm sorry. I know. Do you want, I, just throw caution to the wind, just start buying Bitcoin and take on debt. It's going to be fine. <laughs> I feel like the SEC is going to like knock on my door after this <laughs> conversation. you like, I was kidding. It was a joke. I, was <laughs> I never give financial advice without knowing somebody's situation.
0: <laughs> it is, uh, no, again, I said this before we hit record. It seems like there are a lot of Bitcoiners out there who, uh, I don't want to say overextended, but they believe in Bitcoin and its promise potentially uh, could be vulnerable to to the timing aspect that you just described. Um, like how how much would you like in Pierre? Actually, he does a good job of uh, tweeting this and, and warning Bitcoin investors, potential Bitcoin investors on Twitter. Uh, make sure you have six months worth of cash uh in the bank in your bank account before worth of six months worth of expenses uh in cash in your bank account before you start investing in bitcoin like what would you recommend uh a good strategy be for for being confident to start plowing money into bitcoin uh outside yeah
1: expenses it's a great question um so you always want so i think i want to start with this you your liabilities right now are in dollars. So what I mean by that, right, is you can't just go use Bitcoin anywhere and everywhere right now. Um, So something so simple as paying your utility bill right now is going to be in dollars. It's not going to be in Bitcoin. So because the utility company is not going to accept Bitcoin, you're going to have to sell Bitcoin if something were to happen, if you didn't have the cash flow, to then go pay for it. Whereas you could keep dollars around um, to make emergency expenses. The reason why you would want to keep dollars around would be because Bitcoin tends to be a pretty volatile asset, right? I think over the course of this year we saw something as low as 3000 and something as high as $13,000. <laughs> so theoretically, if you had bought at $6,000 and then you needed to go pay your electric bill in April because you got laid off due to coronavirus and then you had to go sell your Bitcoin because you decided to put 100% of your assets and not keep any dollars around, you would have been selling at a loss. IRS loves that. Um, You get to have a nice tax loss. They don't share completely in the burden of your tax loss. Um, They share a little bit in the burden and you take the rest of the burden, you get to carry it forward. Um, They also share in your gains. Um, But yeah, so keep that in mind though, right? Because like if you're, if you're not saving, if you don't have, if you have liabilities in dollars, which everybody does right now, and we're not in a situation where people don't want dollars anymore, or Bitcoin is really widely accepted everywhere, then you do need to keep dollars around. Um, my recommendation for people is to, if you have debt, to have at least one to two months worth of non-discretionary expenses, like your rent, your utilities, any like really necessary insurance, um, really any anything like food like basic grocery expenses you want to have all of that for at least one to two months and then start paying down your debt aggressively um if you have debt also you really shouldn't be piling into bitcoin um depending on the debt right so if you have low interest debt it's probably okay um credit card debt not okay pay down your credit card debt right (laughs) that stuff's gonna pile up over time um maybe you can create some sort of balancing act that makes sense for you but i would say that that would be a priority After you've paid down your debt, then you want to increase your emergency savings fund. You want to have five to six months worth of dollars around for non-discretionary fixed necessary expenses. Not like, you know, I'm going to, you know, a concert with my friend, even though I'm laid off, but like (laughs) true necessary expenses. Um, And then after that, go buy whatever you want. I'm all for it. If you want to be a hundred percent in Bitcoin, I mean, I, I don't know your situation. I would say like, from my perspective, I don't, I wouldn't do that, but that doesn't mean that other people can't do that and that it doesn't make sense for them.
0: Yeah. I, I think people are sitting, sitting with their headphones in and their jaws open right now. Uh, I have a shard not recommending to go all in, but.
1: <laughs> I typically recommend one to 10% of net worth, depending on, um, uh, risk tolerance, time horizon, how well, you know, the technology, um, bitcoin is a long-term asset um i don't like to hold anything i don't like to hold anything over uh, a short period of time that could be very volatile and how it fluctuates so bitcoin's a good example of that stocks real estate all three of those would kind of be in like the risky bucket category quote unquote um so if you're going to hold that stuff you better be ready to hold it for you know 20 to 30 plus years um If you want to go buy a house, let's say in three to, you know, three to five years, I wouldn't put your money in Bitcoin, right? Like that's when you have to start thinking about asset allocation and like, okay, I need to keep some cash around because if Bitcoin doesn't do what I think it's going to do over the next three to five years, then I'm going to be in a situation where I'm selling at a loss and then probably potentially buying less house than I'm able to do. Um, So Again, it's hard to, for me to give recommendations about exactly how much people can put in, into Bitcoin without knowing exactly what people want to do later on with their money. But I mean, keep that stuff in mind of like, okay, this is a long-term asset. Am I matching it with um, a short-term goal or a long-term goal?
0: I really like that advice. And I think it brings up a good good point too, because I think there are a lot of Bitcoiners out there who are expecting a price increase to buy, make a big purchase like a house. Um but I would rather see bitcoiners hold Bitcoin and buy a house with cash considering the the tax burden that would come when you go to cash out that Bitcoin. Let's take an optimistic view. say Bitcoin does increase significantly in price and you use it to buy a house. you're gonna you're gonna take a significant tax hit when you go to sell that Bitcoin unless at that point in time you can use it as collateral, which who knows maybe that'll happen. But um, I think, uh, I think there is a responsible way to to hold a significant cash balance and a Bitcoin balance um, so that you don't have to sell your Bitcoin in the future. Um, I, could, I guess the question I'm getting at here is, take an optimistic view of the future from a Bitcoiner's perspective, the price of Bitcoin goes up considerably. How do you recommend they, they handle and, and manage that new wealth denominated in Bitcoin?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So I think it, it totally depends. I'm sorry. I feel like I'm going (laughs) to keep starting all my answers with that. Um, it. It depends, but it, it also is one of it's one of those things of like, what do you want to do with the wealth later on, right? So if like your whole goal of buying Bitcoin was like, okay, I'm going to quit my job, I'm going to say a few to everybody in my office, I'm going to do a little dance, and then I'm going to live off my Bitcoin with my family for the next 40 years. I don't know. I feel like I hear that a lot. So that's what I'm using as an example. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so imagine that's your example to retire early. Um, so if you're, if you're looking to retire early or do something like that, right, then you're taking smaller distributions based off of your Bitcoin, um, depending on your spending and you'll have to take into account, account taxes. Um, you might even want to think about where you're living because, um, certain states charge taxes on capital gains, whereas other states don't have a state income tax, in which case you could save 10% by moving from New York to Texas. Let's just say, because, um, Texas has no state income tax, New York, New York city charges, um, 10% 10% basically all in between city and state. So, um, and then from a federal perspective, the the capital gains rates are actually pretty good. Um, so if you have no income, um, depending if you're married, or if you're single, the first 40 to $80,000 of your capital gains is actually tax free. Um, so if you really don't have any other income and you're actually only living off of capital gains, which is kind of the nice thing about Bitcoin, that doesn't pay a cash flow. So you don't have any income that's being generated off of that. You can generate all of it through capital gains. And capital gains have a, has a nice, much nicer tax rate than income tax. Um, it starts to get more complicated, though, when... You didn't quit your job, so you're still making money in dollars. Maybe you're even making a nice salary now because you know this is 20 years down the road and Bitcoin's gone to 300 million bajillion dollars, and now you want to go buy the lake house for 20 million dollars or whatever on the lake, right? So, <laughs> but you still have your income. So at that point, you know your capital gains rate is going to be higher. It also depends on where you live, whether or not you're going to be paying income state income taxes or not. Um, and I think it's one of those things where you're like, okay, look, I kind of won, so I'll just pay some taxes. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I wish there was a way around it. There are other tax planning things that you can do, right? You could put money into retirement accounts. If you're running a business, you can reinvest back into your business so that you have a lower income year and in a year that you're going to be um, taking large capital gains. That way you don't pay as much in taxes. Um, there are like, you know, ways for you to do retirement accounts where you could really stock a lot of money away to lower your income. Um, you can, I'm trying to think what else you can do. Yeah, you can do charitable giving. That's a good way to kind of get some income off the table um, when you're doing a large purchase and you're going to be selling a lot of stock or Bitcoin or something else.
0: Mm-hmm. Staying on this optimistic tip, do you recommend spinning up an LLC, maybe holding Bitcoin there? Or I know you mentioned retirement account, IRA. I know our friend Jeff Andrew has the, the keykeeper IRA, which is tax preferable. Um, yeah. But is there other other avenues? Like, do you recommend... You said you mentioned a business, maybe reinvest in the business um, to yeah, lower your tax rate, I but... mean,
1: if you hold Bitcoin in an LLC and it's not an operating business, it's not really going to do much for you. if you hold Bitcoin in an LLC where you're actually running a business, um, you can reinvest money into your business so if the business is selling bitcoin and then you've also like reinvested money thereby lowering income it'll it'll change your tax rate it's not going to look very different though in an llc and llc is a pass-through vehicle so um you report that on schedule c and then you basically pay it on your 1040 like you would have otherwise there's an s corp status um that you can take that is one of those things you really got to crunch the numbers on to see whether or not it makes sense um there's still something called the qbi deduction right now which Um, If you are operating a business in order to be competitive with the corporate tax race that they lowered um, with Trump's tax bill, I think back in 2017 it was, Um, they also gave a nice um, tax break to small businesses whereby you can, I mean, it's super complicated. This is like the... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the like the surface of the rule is basically that you can deduct 20% of your income before you even start looking at what you're going to pay taxes on. Um, and there are so many rules and stipulations to that. So I I don't want to go off the rails there, but there are ways um, to lower income by having a business. But that said, you have to have an operating business. You can't just like fabricate a business, put Bitcoin in it, and expect that like you're going to get preferential tax treatment. So
0: get a good lot. Get on starting some productive businesses, freaks. Yeah. <laughs> Be better for your for your taxes.
1: <laughs> for sure, for sure. And then like you run things through your business that are actually business expenses, but sometimes there's like things that are overlapping, right? Like for instance, I use my cell phone in my business and also personally. So um, I deduct a third of my cell phone bill every month just because I do use it for business and I'm probably working on it about a third of the time and I'm doing other stuff two thirds of the time. So just like use your head about this stuff. But um, if you're a W2 employee, right, there's not something you can do. You can't deduct a third of your cell phone bill. Um, so these are things to think about. But obviously there's risks to being a business owner and you want to have a viable business. You don't want to just start a business for the sake of deducting a bunch of expenses. If you don't have any income, I mean, you're just going to be taking losses and at some point IRS is going to audit you. So be careful with that stuff.
0: <laughs> yes. No, this is a lesson I've learned in the last couple of years, starting a business for, for this podcast and the newsletter. Uh, no, it was, it was, daunting. Like I, I stumbled into this business and luckily became, uh, developed uh, considerable revenue streams to the point where like, I was invoicing people and having it sent to my my personal bank account. I got to a point where I was like, "All right, I should probably start an LLC to, to separate this stuff." So I guess uh, I'm not going to explain what I would do. Like somebody in this situation that I was in, like how how do you go about this, and at what point do you do you say, "All right, maybe I should spin up an LLC for this for this business," uh, considering the amount of, of money I'm getting wired to my personal bank account.
1: Yeah, there are two ways to look at that. There's um, one way is to look at it from a mindset perspective. And the other way is to look at it from a practical perspective. From a mindset perspective, generally, when people open an LLC and they decide to operate a business, like the opening of the LLC is actually the thing that kind of like perks them up and gets them excited and like makes them feel like, okay, I'm a business owner now, you know, and then they get after it more than they would have otherwise if they were just operating as a sole proprietorship. Um, if you're not the kind of person that needs that external motivation of running an LLC, immediately opening up an LLC, there are expenses obviously associated with doing that. Um, then you can wait. And I, um, I'm actually dealing with this with a client right now. Um, he's in the midst of starting a business and doesn't really have any real income coming in right now. And the expenses are are so minimal that it's like why spend you know thousand bucks setting up an LLC when we could just kind of wait for some income to come in it's really easy to separate it out right now um, and separate out what your expenses are just keep a nice tally of a spreadsheet and then when things start to like pick up and get a little bit more complicated then we open the LLC we open the business accounts Um, that way you don't have to like the one thing about opening up right you can have a lot of different accounts if you start opening these things up but they have minimums on them right so now you're tying up a bunch of dollars that bitcoiners don't like to do in accounts like a chase business account where they have a minimum and then you also have a minimum in your checking account and you have a minimum in your savings account right and the next thing you know like you've got 10 grand that <laughs> of like cash lying around just to like meet these minimums that you otherwise would have maybe been able to pile into the market because you didn't actually need it and you're just leaving it there for minimum sakes so um again a balancing act for sure um, but yeah, I would say once things start to get to a point where they look like they're about to be more complicated or they've already gotten more complicated, that's when it's time to set up an entity that way, just make your life easy. Like nobody wants to be sifting through, you know, business expenses, separating them out from personal, creating spreadsheets. Um, it's a lot easier just to have a business account and then get like QuickBooks online and move on with your life.
0: Yeah. But you brought up a good point there too, is documenting all this, like creating an Excel sheet and staying on top of it i think this is something that most people myself included i'm pretty bad at um like having like a spreadsheet of personal finances and and uh articulating and visualizing goals uh in in spreadsheets or even just written down on paper and tracking stuff like how do you best go about that Uh, do you recommend doing it yourself are there templates out there Uh, At a certain point, does it make sense just to partner up with a financial advisor like yourself or an accountant to, to handle that for you? And at what price point does that make sense?
1: Yeah. So I would say if your business right off the bat, you have income coming in and you have expenses or you just have lots of expenses because your business has a lot of startup costs then probably right away, even though it would be an extra expense for you would be to get accounting software or, or, and, or hire an accountant. Um, they typically want to operate with you with accounting software so that you're not sending them over spreadsheets and they're not pulling their hair out. Um, If your stuff isn't so complicated, then yeah, just a regular spreadsheet would be fine. I would say, mark your calendar. So, and then honor your calendar. So it's not enough to just like put the to-do on your calendar, you actually have to be like, okay, I set aside, you know, 30 minutes on Sunday the 8th and every 8th, you know, every first Sunday of every month, I'm gonna go and do my expenses for last month and then do it. Um, And the trick to just doing it is literally you do it a couple of times and then that's just what you do on the first Sunday of every month. if it's not that complicated, then I would say the easiest way to do it is literally just create a spreadsheet it says date, description, amount, and you just fill them in. Um, if they are a lot more complicated than that, then, yeah, I would say you probably want software, in which case things are going to be able to auto-categorize. You can create rules. Um, that way you're not spending so much time on your first Sunday of every month doing this stuff. Um, I would say, though, don't let it like, don't want to get away from you though, too. I, mean, I see this all the time with people where they just didn't do their accounting for eight months. Um, so they have no idea. First of all, you don't have any idea of how much money is coming in. Um, and you don't have any idea of how much money is going out. And you now also have eight months worth of expenses and income that you have to categorize, which is, you know, time consuming and annoying. So from all aspects of personal finance it's kind of a fail right (laughs) because you want to know what your what your income less your expenses is that you have an idea of how much money you could be saving and one of the things that happens to business owners is that you end up not saving because you're worried about not having enough cash to make you know ends meet where the expenses and when the next income is going to come in when you really just need to be a lot more disciplined about doing the accounting so that you're able to create a savings rate for yourself and be consistently saving over time Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Do you, is, is the software like QuickBooks enough? Do you think, uh, or do you, do you think that cuts corners in any ways or in your experience is, is having a, a human there to help you, uh, give people more peace of mind and make it easier for them? Or is that too expensive?
1: Yeah, I think it depends on how involved you want to be. So like for me, I did my own expenses, um, but still had an accountant um, and I used QuickBooks and that was enough for me. Um, And then I got to a point where I was just like, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. So now I'm also going to hire a bookkeeper. So they do that for me too now at this point, but my business is six years old. So um, it wasn't until year six that I was like, I will pay for a a bookkeeper and an accountant. Um, I, I believe in accountants. I think that it does help to have a human there who's <laughs> looking at that stuff. Um, I know plenty of people who use TurboTax. I have clients who use it too. and We review returns all the time. Um, I personally feel more comfortable having an accountant file that stuff for me, having somebody there who would be able to back me up if something was wrong on my return, right, where they can answer an IRS letter. Um, and I even help clients with that stuff, and I still feel more comfortable and confident with an accountant doing that for me. Um, that said, though, these are expenses and they do add up. So if you're finding that you're able to do it yourself and it's no big deal, then great. But if you're starting to see, okay, my tax situation is actually getting a lot more complicated, or I'm making a lot of money and I don't know whether or not I should elect to be an S Corp. um, Or um, I just have so many expenses that maybe it makes sense for a bookkeeper to be looking at this instead of me. Like at that point, I think though, you're at a stage in your business where you can actually afford to have somebody help you, in which case it wouldn't really wouldn't feel that expensive to do it.
0: No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, can you freaks tell I'm asking business advice here on this podcast? It's uh, uh no.
1: Happy to answer any questions you have, Marty, about your business personally. <laughs> this
0: is this is a this is a free consultation. Kidding. What What is the uh, the number one mistake you see people make out there? Um, whether it be complacency or just not pri- prioritizing the correct the correct things. Like what what's the number one? Uh, hurdle or mistake that people make
1: definitely not saving enough Um, i think people don't they uh, they always overestimate how much they're actually saving and they underestimate how much they're spending at any given time um and it always helps to actually do the math on it and see whether or not you're hitting those targets um the thing about saving right is the more you do it the easier it's going to be for you later um it's just that's just the way it is um and it doesn't mean that you have to save so much that you're sacrificing a lot in your life right now but um typically people tend to undersave rather than oversave for every oversaver i have in my practice i have 15 more than are undersaving right <laughs> so um i would say that's probably the number one mistake that i see um the second mistake that i see people make is they just don't do anything um, they hate finances. They think it's a disgusting thing that they don't want to look at. It's um, something about it is not exciting. Uh, it's a drag. It's time-consuming. Um, I just don't like doing it. I hear, you know, this just that's outside my comfort zone. Um, and to those people, I would say like get it and be in your comfort zone like the best way to to conquer financial issues is to start learning about financial issues Um, and there's plenty of resources out there there's kind of no reason why you can't learn something about even basics about personal finance to at least get yourself in a situation where you know the right questions to ask when you meet somebody right as opposed to like just having your head in the sand and not doing anything at all Um, and then i see it where people they don't want to spend money to get the advice but then they also don't do anything um, as a result so sometimes you have to kind of know yourself if you need an accountability partner it might actually be in your best interest to pay somebody to help you do that that way you actually do something as opposed to doing nothing um because doing nothing is not going to get you anywhere
0: yeah and i just guess from a mental perspective how like how, how much less stress does actually planning and executing on these these plans uh in your experience with your clients, how, like what's what's the increased peace of mind that exists out there when you are actually doing this? Is there considerable less uh, stress load?
1: Considerable like amazingly different Um, people generally come into my office they couldn't be more stressed out and within you know six months to a year they're a completely different person Um, you're just able to prioritize other things so one of the things that i see with people who they kind of stick their head under in the sand like an ostrich and they don't want to look at their finances they're still thinking about it all the time it's still consuming them and they're not doing anything about it. Um, And it's very stressful Um, or somebody who's maybe doing too much um, and actually messing up their finances because they're over trading and they're thinking about things, you know, in a, in a different way, rather than just, you know, thinking about things from a high level asset allocation perspective, and then thinking more about what their goals are rather than like the nitty gritty details of finance before they've figured out the goals. Um, As soon as you have the plan in place, when you know what you want to do and you're prioritizing the things that are important to you, all that other stuff is going to fall into place. You're going to know what to do. Um, And if you don't know what to do, you'll know what to look for so you can figure out what to do. Um, And that in and of itself, I think, is, is like the gift of doing financial planning is like there's a relief there of like, oh... Not only do I know what I want to do, but it's what I really want to do. And I have a plan to actually execute on it, so I know what's going to happen. Um, and the thing that I noticed with clients the most is that if you're able to figure out something that you can do in the next six to 18 months, let's say, something a short-term goal that's really important that you can knock out and really attain, then you're going to get the ball rolling. So typically when you think of financial planners, we're all like, you gotta save money and retire and you know, think about what what's happening for you in 30 to 40 years. And nobody wants to think about what's going to happen in them in 30 to 40 years, right? Like. We want to know what's going to happen to us next week, next month. (laughs) So getting short-term goals met, finding ways to get the ball rolling where you're actually starting to, you know, get wheels turning and feeling like you're accomplishing things is going to help you more than focusing on some longer term goals that maybe would be easier to accomplish if you did a lot more now for them, like putting away money into a retirement account. Um, But that said, might not, you might not have a fire in your belly to do it because it's going to happen so far from now.
0: Yeah. Well, I think you just touched on something very important. Like it, it does not take that long once you dedicate yourself to it. Six to 18 months is not that long in the grand scheme of things.
1: No, oh, definitely not. And I mean, you have, you have an eight month old, um, you know how much <laughs> a little baby can accomplish over a course of a year. So imagine what an adult can do. <laughs> right. That
0: no, it is, it's crazy, but uh, there's something about that paralyzing stress, like you, again like you said people don't even want to think about it they just put it to the back burner put it to the back burner take another shot put it to the back burner uh it's something about our generation that's particularly i think i don't know um i don't want to speak I think like all things that we
1: find unpleasant in general it's easy to put to the back burner like for instance i have compliance in my financial planning practice Um, I have to do it. It's important for me to do it. The state is going to audit me. (laughs) I don't like doing it. It's not adding value for my clients. Um, it costs me time and effort and money. Um, and if it were up to me, I would never do it, (laughs) but because it is required of me and it's something that I wanted to be held accountable to doing, I hire somebody to help me to do that. Um, and that alone, I mean, that's worth, the price alone. And she also actually does other stuff for me, which is nice. But like, she sends me emails and says, Hey, you have to do this now. And then I'm like, Okay, I got to do this now. And I do it right. Like, <laughs> there's, there's something nice about that. So even if you don't want to hire a financial planner, um, find somebody you could be accountable to, right? Like your spouse, your roommate, your parents, your siblings, like people out there, they want to help you. And if you're willing to kind of let your guard down and open up about something that's really important to you and ask them to remind you, Like, hey, did you do, you know, did you save this month? Did you pay down some debt this month? Did you buy some Bitcoin this month? I don't know, whatever your goal is, right? Like, it does help to have somebody else be on your team, cheering you on who is there for you and wants to help you and wants to help you achieve that goal.
0: Yes. Accountability buddy. Accountability (laughs) buddy. Is that what they're called? Accountability. I forget.
1: Accountability. Accountability (laughs) buddy. It sounds (laughs) right.
0: Accountability. You need a buddy for accountability. Yeah. There's a word out there that combines the two, but that is. That's another thing, like being upfront and honest, especially with a spouse or a family member uh, about expenses or something very, I mean, obviously very private about expenses, but um, it does help when you are you have somebody you can lean on to talk about this stuff and motivate you to work towards it.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I know Bitcoiners, we tend to be, um, we don't want to tell anyone like how many coins we have, where they are located, all that stuff, right? And obviously I'm all for that, like have secrecy around the things that matter. Um, but there are things that you can say to other people that will help you achieve financial goals, right? That don't put, let's say your finances in jeopardy. Um, and I'm sure, I, I mean, I hope that everyone listening to this has at least one person in their life that they can trust to do that kind of thing with.
0: I'm lucky to have my wife. She whipped my, my financial life into shape. (laughs) Thank God. Um, no, it is, it is huge. Having uh, somebody to keep you accountable and then motivate you to stay on top of this. Like, again, like I said, my early twenties, out of college till 25, I was one of those back burner people. Just like, put it on the back burner. I don't want to think about it. Don't want to think about it. I was a 1099 contract worker for, for a lot of that time. And uh, any of you young freaks out there starting as a 1099 contract worker, put that money aside for taxes. It'll come oh, back to bite yeah. you in the ass. I, uh, I was one of those, again, put it on the back burner. Living in New York City as a 1099 contract worker. Uh, living paycheck to paycheck. Then the tax bill came. I was like, oh, crap, don't have enough money. It took me a couple years to get get into good standing uh, based on that. So, like, don't put those things on the back burner, especially if you're a 1099 worker. Opening up the book here to you freaks. Yeah,
1: for sure. Same thing for business owners. I mean, if you're a contract worker or a business owner, you've got to set aside money for taxes and you have to do it in a way that makes sense. So same thing with what we were talking about, with business expenses and knowing what your income is, you're not going to know how much you need to set aside if you wait till December 31st to have done all of your income and expenses. Right. Um, and if you're spending money in the meantime, the last thing that you want to do is end up in a situation where you've got like a large tax bill and you have no money in your account. And also you happen to buy a bunch of Bitcoin and now you're selling it. Um, So yeah, it's one of those things where like short term tax liability can't really be met with a long term asset like Bitcoin. Um, And so why I always answer these questions with it depends is because it's so hard without knowing your situation, how much money that you could really plow into an asset like Bitcoin, you just really need to have a long time horizon for that kind of a thing. Um, And I think that that's the framework that you need to think about it. If you're like, okay, I actually don't need this money for a long period of time. This is the amount of money I don't need for a long period of time. This is how much I can do Um, versus this is the money I need for a short period of time. Um, I need for taxes. I need it to, you know, make regular bills. I need it to have an emergency fund. Um, I need it to buy my wife an engagement ring. I don't know, whatever you're thinking about, right? (laughs) So, but yeah, just always think about like matching short-term goals with short-term assets, long-term goals with long-term assets
0: aligning time preferences uh, Mm -hmm. of your assets That's a good and that's a very good advice um because obviously the listeners of this podcast are very uh focused on the long-term value of their bitcoin holdings but you got to keep the short term in mind as well like you said earlier the uh the timing of, of bitcoin success is not uh not predictable so you can't,
1: unfortunately. Yeah. Can't I wish it stay. were. I mean, I wish I had better advice. for I feel like I'm always coming in and like, you know, crapping all over people's plans. like one of my clients is always saying, he's like, every time I meet you, I just feel like I'm never going to retire. He <laughs> oh, saved a little bit more money. This, these meetings wouldn't suck so much, you know? Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, um, I love to just like rain glitter all the time and tell people that they can do whatever they want. Um, it's just unfortunately like, not the way that it works and like wealth is kind of it's a simple equation right it's income minus spending is savings and then you do something with that savings um and there's no way around it um and i keep getting like people on twitter find me and they say no you do this you do that you can you know but you still it's still income minus spending equals savings right even if you let's say had options in a business that then ipos if you spent that money from the ipo right you wouldn't have that as savings anymore that you can invest so maybe it'll be a lot more money because of the ipo and everything else but you still have to be willing to not spend it on something um and that is really the driver of wealth um and nothing else unfortunately
0: yes and it's uh you got to think about the stuff freaks i know we're all gung-ho on bitcoin and we think it's going to take over the world i truly believe that you can't time it though you got to take care of your expenses and your family in the meantime. So be responsible. Uh, Hard truths. You need to hear hard truths every once in a while. Again, a lot of people just want to plug their ears and say, I don't have to worry about this.
1: Also, the more you do, right, the more you're willing to plan and see how much income you have coming in or maybe try to make more income, right, the more you'll be able to go and then buy the Bitcoin that you want to buy, right? Um, I think that that's kind of the thing that's lost often with financial planning is that um, if you do the planning, if you run your numbers, then you'll actually know how much you can do. Um, and then you'll know too, uh, too also, okay, if I do X, Y, and Z thing, then I can do more. Um, and it, if like your ultimate goal is really just to accumulate as much Bitcoin as you can, um, there's no better way to do it than to be like evaluating your own personal finances and seeing how you can make the math work for you. Uh-huh.
0: <sighs> be aware, freaks. Be aware. We're gonna know I only locked off an hour for this interview. So I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, last question. What are your thoughts on Susie Orman?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I was not expecting that question. (laughs) Um, she's got a bad haircut. Um, (laughs) and she sometimes gives okay advice, but a lot of the times I just think she's in it for herself. So, and it's like a gag, you know? Um, I think she could be a little more down to earth with how she approaches things, but, um, some of her basics are, are fine. I mean, again, it's a simple equation, right? Um, I feel like in some regards, like I'm, I'm always kind of throwing the tools out to people all the time. And if you're willing to do it yourself. Um, and I think she does a little of that too of like, Hey, like, make more money, spend a little bit less, save some more, and invest it, right? And you're going to be okay. Um, the problem is that we don't, we have trouble actually following that advice. And I don't think that she does a good job of um, effectively communicating <laughs> and listening to people. So <laughs> two things that are really important when you're working with a financial advisor or planner, or whoever you decide to work with. So um, in that regard, I don't think that there's, there's not anything specifically wrong with her, but you know, I was Just
0: heuristically, was. I think you were onto something where she's in it for herself. All of her books have her face right front and center. Personal yeah. finance quick start guy. Yeah, she's got that the, the
1: face and the earrings and the hair. It's like she's a she's an act for sure.
0: Yes. Well <laughs> you gotta
1: be authentic, you know. I think that's her though, right? That's her business. That's who she is, that's her that's her brand her brand. She's gonna like if she ever listens to this. <laughs> I hope she does actually. It'd be nice. She can she can send me an email, a scathing email.
0: Well, Morgan, I'm a big fan of your, your brand because it seems that you actually care about your your customers. Like you said, you only want 35 max uh, uh, con- customers for, for what you're doing. Clients, excuse me, customers, clients, <laughs> interchangeable, but no, like quality over quantity. And I really like the intention behind this book, uh, one to many instead of 101, because you want to be able to service the clients that you already have on your book, but you also want to help others. And the best way for you to do that was to write this book. So uh, props to you for doing it, number one, and congrats on on launching it. I'm very, very happy for you.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I, I, um, I do care about all my clients. And I do actually, I care about everybody. I want everyone to be financially successful. I think if we all lived in a world where people tried to live their most fulfilled life, like imagine what that would be like if everybody really was doing what they wanted to be doing all the time. Um, and I don't mean that in a YOLO sense. I mean that in like the things that are actually important to us. Um, it would be it'd be a nice world to live in. So the more I'm able to disseminate information and help people do that, I think just the better this place is gonna be to, to live.
0: Yeah, I completely co-signed that message and go pick up the book. Where can we pick it up? Where can we find out more about you? where can we find your podcast? How, how can we start, uh, taking steps towards uh, a better financial future for ourselves?
1: Yeah, great. My um, my book can be found on Amazon. It's the Personal Finance Quick Start Guide. Um, and you can also get it on Clyde Bank Media, which is my publisher's website. Um, I think they actually direct you to Amazon if you go there, though. So probably just go to Amazon. Um, my podcast and my financial coaching practice is Money Owners, and that can be found at moneyowners.com. Um, you can also submit questions to me if you want them answered live on the podcast. I just had a really good Q&A session um, that I released on Sunday last week Um, it was all about housing and we got some really good questions so if you want a question answered live by me um, my suggestion would be to just put as much information into that question as you can otherwise you're going to get a really bland it depends answer and it's not actually going to be specific to you Um, but you can do that on my website moneyowners.com forward slash ask morgan with an e or you can find me on twitter morgan with an e rochard, or money underscore owners
0: we will link to all of this in the show notes. Morgan, congrats. Number one new release in college and university financial aid. Thanks. On Amazon. Uh, so the book book is number one on the list right now. Uh, if you freaks are out there, if any of you young freaks are out there in your early 20s, uh, sort of not thinking about finances, as somebody uh, who put finances on the back burner for, for a lot of my early 20s and didn't clean up my act the last few years, specifically i highly recommend picking up this book starting early start early freaks you young freaks out there i know some of you are older than me as well but i think you would co-sign the advice we're giving right now Uh, i hope you would at least morgan thank you for your time uh tell pierre i said hey
1: i will thanks marnie it was fun all
0: right that's all we got today freaks peace and love